Do you have the feeling that we have some fantastic opportunities to reach out into our community? And we have some opportunities like never before to reach out over here on campus. Folks, I've been here 13 years, and we've had tons of opportunities to reach out during those 13 years. But I don't know, maybe I'm just more optimistic right now, or maybe it's, I really think it's because I see all the pieces coming together. I think God is constantly preparing us to go about the mission that matters to Him. And I think He has been preparing us, and in these times, He needs people who will reach out to others, and who will be inviting and welcoming to others. A lot of it this year began with our elders telling us that we want to be more friendly and inviting and intimate and participatory. But folks, I see all the pieces coming together. We are without excuse, okay? We've got the resources. We've got something good here to share with others. We've got people in place. Um, There's no excuse. We can do this. And and by the way, what Cade told you about this opportunity on August 18th, the college contacted Westark to help out with that because someone in those offices over there heard that we are a church that cares about the campus and the students over there. So there's nothing veiled about this. They're looking to us, and they're expecting us to be a friendly, inviting congregation. We are without excuse. Let's do this. This isn't somebody else's work. you with me? This is you. We need you. And don't let Satan tell you all these ideas that, you know, you're too young, you're too old, you don't know what you're doing, you know, all that. Don't listen to him. He's a liar. He's not qualified to tell you any of that. God's put this before you. We are ready. We've got another opportunity like that on August 21st. For many years now, we've been doing uh, our back-to-school blessing. If you're new here, if you've never heard of this before, if you're a guest, this is an opportunity where we reach out to people, you know, really as the school year begins. And we're inviting them to be a part of a blessing, of starting off with a spiritual blessing. And I, and I, I'm always working every year to explain that. I've got some help this year, okay? I've got some help to explain that. How many of you kids that were at our VBS remember our friend Blue Bear? Do you remember him? Raise your hand if you remember Blue Bear. Okay, Blue Bear really needs a blessing before he goes to school. And so he has a video here for you, and I want you to see what he has set up for us. This can explain back to school blessing better than I ever could. Well, I'm finally ready for school. I got everything I need for school. I have my backpack, I have my lunch. I have my school books, I have my power tools, I have my pens and pencils. I don't want to go to school. School is lousy. All they do is make you sit in a room and and write with pencils and and read books. School is terrible. I hate school. Whoa, hey, Blue Bear. What? What do you want? I didn't see you there, friends. Uh, 
Did you hear me yelling? Yeah, sounds like you don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. Well, have you been blessed? Blessed? Yeah, it makes a difference. Well, what do you mean? How do I get blessed before I go to school? Let me tell you everything about back-to-school blessing. Back-to-school blessing is an opportunity for people in the area to come and be blessed before the school year starts. Anyone from preschoolers to teachers and lunch ladies are welcome to come and get prayed for by the entire congregation. Everyone will also get a chance to pick out a magnet that will have the name of a student or faculty member on it that they will be encouraged to pray for all year long. Back-to-school blessing is a wonderful event full of fun and fellowship for everyone, so come and be blessed. Amazing! I can't wait for back-to-school blessing. That's right, Bloomer. Back-to-school blessing, having all those people praying for you, makes you going back to school a much better experience. Hey, I got a present for you, too. A present? Yeah, check this out. <gasps> a new backpack? Wow, it is not a girl backpack this time. That's right, Bloomer. Thank you, mister. Alright, see you around, kid. Okay, goodbye, stranger. Well, now I'm ready to go back to school. So I should never have to explain back to school blessing again. <laughs> You're going to have some little blue bears out there that are going to tell you that they think school's lousy and they don't want to go back. And uh, I think we can help people with that. But, um, and by the way, some of those blue bears may not be students. They may be teachers. And uh, I've seen a lot of family members helping the teacher and the family get ready for school this year. And, uh, you know, every, this is an opportunity for us to reach out. And that's how I want you to understand. Just like the Cub Camp Cookout and so many other things around here, the, the other purpose of Back to School Blessing is is not just the blessing in the prayer, but it's outreach. It's sharing the blessing that we receive from God with others. So you can send this video. This video's on YouTube. You can send that to people. We have uh, cards out there in the foyer. It's an invitation card. You can give that to someone. It tells them the time and the date and the place on the back. It says, bring, bring, bring a friend, bring yourself. I want to encourage you to do that like we've never done it before. It's always been intended as an outreach. And I think people will come. It's real simple. We're always looking for a strategy or methodology. Here's what I want. I'm going to give you three suggestions. First of all, I want you to be thinking about somebody you want to attend back-to-school blessing or be a part of this back-to-school blessing. You pray for them, number one. Here's the other thing. Number two, this one's uh, the engine. Ask. You never know what they're going to say. You need to ask. And even if they say no, or they can't make it, or they've got something going on at their congregation, if they have a congregation, that may open up a conversation that's going to bear fruit in some other way. And then the other thing we've got to do on that day, August 21st, is we've got to greet. We've got to be attentive. We've got to pay attention that there may be new people here, and we want to have that welcoming spirit. Now, you can do this. You can do this because you are part of the resistance. You know, as we've looked at this new concept of what it means, a new perspective on being disciples, we see ourselves involved in something right now on this earth where a dark power has taken over this world. 
and it does not have the right to rule. It's corrupted this good world that God has made. And we are called to be a people who resist the devil, who live for his purposes. Now, what does that mean for outreach? What does that mean? Well, I'm going to do it, people. I'm going to bring up the E word. You know the E word, evangelism. Oh, yeah, as soon as you say evangelism, it's just, that word is wrapped up in religious robes. As soon as you hear that, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know that little word association game. Evangelism, what do you think of? I bet half of you came up with Billy Graham. Uh, you know, we think of a lot of things when it comes to evangelism and outreach, and I don't know that a lot of them are all that helpful. And so we've got to get over our fear of the E-word when it comes to reaching out to people. What I've noticed is, and let's just be honest, be honest as you're listening, as you're considering this, is that we tend to think of evangelism as a process of sales or recruiting, or it involves some sort of argumentation, it involves a lot of rejection, it involves a lot of pestering people. We have a lot of preconceived notions when it comes to evangelism the pesky pestering high pressure people knocking on the door and it's the sort of thing that no one really wants to do we tend to think of other groups that do this and and and, you know honestly I, I can't blame us for not wanting to do some of that because you don't have a relationship sometimes there when I was living in Abilene I was going to grad school and of course you know i we, we had uh, the Mormons that would come into our neighborhood, and they would door knock. And, I, I, well, of course, when I was in grad school, I saw that as part of extracurricular activities. I thought, wow, you know, I might get a paper or a lab out of this or something. And I, I had two fellows, they come to my door. They're, they're both about, oh, you know, they're even younger than I was then, you know, and they're, they're both elders. So uh, I'm, th- I'm thinking their life expectancy doesn't last very long in this group. And, but they, they, I could tell one of them, wanted to be there he was fired up he was excited not you know the other guy you could tell he just he really didn't want to be doing it he was just putting in his time and I think sometimes that's what we do with evangelism when we perceive it as something that requires a special technique you've got to have the right method or my favorite is when people tell me I don't know enough about the Bible well Okay, how long have you been a Christian that you don't know enough about the Bible at this point? But I th- I, again, I think it's stage fright. I think we're worried that we're going to get put on the spot. And if you're reaching out to someone and they, you know, and they ask you, you know, where did Cain get his wife? Uh, uh, everything's just going to fall apart. You know, it's all going to unravel and you will have failed at evangelism. Don't worry about such things. That's not what we're doing. We're not trying to go out and recruit people to, uh, to, to build up, it's not a membership drive. And it's not a debate. We're not badgering people into conversion. We're not guilting people into feeling bad enough that they start showing up at church. Now, there's, there's, there's something else to see here. By the way, I think another thing that, that, that gets us all bent out of shape about evangelism is sometimes we're afraid that we're doing bait-and-switch stuff. I heard a story of a guy who um, had a business, and what he would do is he would take people, uh, you know, kind of an outdoor guide, that kind of thing, kind of a hunting guide, and he would take people on these trips. 
And he got someone out there uh, hunting or whatever, um, trying, and, and, and then he gets him into that moment. He's kind of got him out there. He's isolated with him, and he says, now listen, what I really want to do is I've got you out here is I want to talk to you about your salvation. And the, his customer, the man he had out there, you know, thinking that he was out there hunting with this guy, was furious. And I'm thinking as I'm hearing this story, when you get somebody out there with a, with a gun, you don't want to make them mad. Uh, they may turn the tables on you, you know. Well, let's see if you meet Jesus today. Uh, and, and I'll say, I don't think it's a good move to be dishonest with people and tell them that what you're really up to is, uh, is some sort of tactic of reeling them in, of hooking them, you know, and getting them in there, that you're some kind of, you know, when, when Jesus said that we're fishers of men, I don't think he was talking about bait and switch. So we need to approach this differently. Let me suggest a better way, something you're going to see more often in Scripture, more often than sales or arguing or debating. You're going to see things like evangelism being about liberation, restoring relationships, restoring unity with God and with one another. It's going to be about conviction and, and, and saying and stating what we believe. It's going to be about a blessing. That just as God blesses us, He's made us to be a blessing to other people. It's going to be about genuine relationships. What if we have viewed evangelism truly as good news? What if the goal were all of these other things? And by the way, you'll see these descriptors of, of evangelism more often than you will see things like soul winning, which I understand that term, but again, it has kind of that sales connotation to it. These things, then, are only challenging because they're real. I mean, if, if the goal of evangelism, if what we're doing in evangelism is, is proclaiming and announcing that there's freedom, that there's God's favor, that there is a blessing to be had, that there's purpose in life, then that becomes a challenge not because we don't know enough or not because we haven't gone through the course or we haven't been trained or we don't know enough Bible. It only becomes a challenge because it's real and we need to experience it. Otherwise, the things in number two right here, those become a challenge because they, they sort of become artificial. And when they're artificial, I don't think people are going to hear that as good news. Let me show you what we've got in Scripture on this. When Jesus announces his mission to this world in Luke 4, he stands up in the synagogue, he reads Scripture, he reads Isaiah, and then he owns that prophecy. He claims that prophecy. He says, you have heard seen this prophecy fulfilled today and so he says the spirit of the lord is upon me reading that scripture for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and that this is the time of the lord's favor 
His, the Lord's favor has come. Often we see a statement like this and we think, okay, that's Jesus, but not us. And yet Jesus is extending his mission to us. Oh, yeah, I know, preacher, but all that's miraculous. Okay, other than the blind scene, what in that list is necessarily miraculous? Good news to the poor? We have a way of proclaiming that. Captives released? Oppressed, set free? The Lord's favor? This is not some, something that we have to accomplish. This is news. This is something that we know. This is something that you and I have experienced it. And just like our Lord, we go out and we tell it. That's what's behind the verse in uh, 2 Corinthians. Paul understood it this way. He says to the Corinthian congregation, we're not keeping this quiet. Not on your life. Just like the psalmist who wrote, I believed it, so I said it. We say what we believe. And what we believe is that the one who raised up the Master Jesus will just as certainly raise us up with you alive. Paul is saying we believe a bit of news. We believe a reality that Jesus, our Lord, the Christ, He is raised up and we can be raised up with Him. And because we believe that, we tell it. Now once again... The enemy is trying to get you and I to make those things exceptional. Well, that's Jesus. That's Paul. They're different. Not us. We're exempt from that. That's for preachers. That's for elders. That's for church people who've gone through the training. Don't you believe it? What is the only requirement mentioned in that verse? It's right there on the third line. It starts with a B. Belief. We believe it. If we've experienced it, if we've experienced the good news of God, if we know it in some way, if we believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, then we find a way to proclaim that. That's what we're being called to do in evangelism. And the word evangelism comes from that word for the gospel. We don't see that in English because we have all these different words. But but. To evangelize is the verb form of the gospel. So when you and I are evangelizing, what we're really doing is we're gospeling. We're gospeling. We're good newsing. And and there's nothing that I see in Scripture that doesn't say that each and every one of us can declare that God's kingdom is here. I spoke to Logan this morning about it. You know, we've got a song called We Declare That the Kingdom of God is Here. Let's sing that next week. Let's sing that next week to bring all this back to us. Uh, It says these things. When we declare it, we declare what we've seen. We declare what God is doing. And and one of the things that we're declaring is we're declaring the Lord's favor. Now, Now, that rings a bell that you and I may not be used to hearing the sound of, okay? The Lord's favor rings this old Hebrew Bible, Israel sound of jubilee. Jubilee is a word that that you and I may just think means party. And that's not far off the mark. But there's something much deeper to it than that. Every uh, 50 years, Israel had this ceremony, this cycle, 
called the Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was like a political and economic reset button to God's nation. Just everything just jumbled up. It was the Sabbath of Sabbaths. At 50 years, you get, you get a Sabbath year every seven years. At seven times seven years, you get a Jubilee year. And it's much more than just a celebration. Things change in a Jubilee. Because the Jubilee reminds God's people of a few realities. It says, first of all, that God's kingdom is here. It proclaims that God's freedom, God's favor is upon his people. And the reason why the land converts back to its original owners is it's saying all of the world and all of the land belongs to God. And it reminds people that they were people who were once slaves, but now they've been set free. Just like that Sabbath day, which that Sabbath day is also rooted in creation. And the Jubilee year is as well. Okay, that's fine. That's fine, Benjamin. But all that's just a bunch of Old Testament, you know, stuff that, you know, we've thrown out with the new, you know, when we brought the New Testament and we renovated. That's all, that's all expired. Is it? Is it? You know, when you stop and you think about what, what Jesus is proclaiming, he said that his mission was to proclaim that the kingdom of God is the, is the real and truest form of government on this earth. That the kingdom of God, his reign as the Messiah, the anointed one, that's the only permanent thing that we will experience as believers, as followers, as human beings. He's saying that this world is not our home and we're just passing through. If all that land converted, that's a way of reminding you that all of us are just renters in this world. You get it? We don't own a piece of this and you won't even own that six by six plot, you know, that you're going to get in the end. And it's also reminding us that the source of freedom, that the source of favor, true favor comes from God. How was Jesus able to endure the cross? Because it was his heart's desire to please his Father. It was his heart's desire to please God. And as it says in Hebrews, if we fix our eyes on Jesus who overcame that scorn and that criticism and that that mistreatment by the wicked, then we too can overcome things. This jubilee is a big thing. It's, it's almost like we're saying that Christ is going to come again and everything's going to change. You bet. That's exactly what we're saying. And in some way, if we think about it, each and every one of us has experienced or will experience God's favor in some way. And if you can find that, if you can name that, if you can list that, then you've got your evangelistic opening. You've got your evangelistic story. You've got your belief that you can tell others about. You say, that's great. I probably can do that. But when and how am I going to tell others? God will take care of that. God will create that situation for you. He, if you will trust in him, if you will find it, you will have your eyes open and you will find the opportunity to do it. You'll make the opportunity. Hey, you know what? We're giving you two opportunities. August 18th, the Cub Camp Cookout. August 21st, back to school blessing. There you go. You've got two opportunities. You didn't even know you were going to walk out of here with two opportunities like that, but you have them now. 
I just think that we can, if we will have this passion, it's not going to be a problem. The enemy wants us to find problems. The enemy wants us to find obstacles. The enemy is always wanting us to find reasons why we can't do something or shouldn't do something. I don't know that I'm supposed to say anything about God at school. You know, I don't know if that's allowed. I don't think you need to worry about that. When we did Back to School Blessing in Lake Jackson, Texas, one of my friends, she was a... uh, she was the principal of a middle school there, and I was always so impressed. And I mean, I, I, we kept doing that back-to-school blessing with more and more enthusiasm, really because of her. She had been given this assignment in a very poor middle school because everybody knew that the, nobody stayed in that job very long, but she viewed it as her ministry. It was her ministry to her teachers. It was her ministry to those students who really came in with a disadvantage. And she said that she even, because of the back-to-school blessing, began her staff meetings with prayer. Now, this is South Texas, I know. And we're still Bible-belting it, but you never know. I mean, they had, hey, they suspended prayer at Texas football games. I mean, that, that's, that's real. But she just did it. She said, if they want to come and they want to haul me away, they can haul me away. She said, because we have to do that if we're going to survive this situation. Oh, you know, and I've even talked to friends, and I've seen the heartbreak that they have working in schools where they know that they won't get to teach today, but what they're probably going to have to do is they're going to have to give some hope to hungry children. That happens right here in our own city. And don't you know that in some way, whether they're praying silently inside or whether they're praying with others, we're asking these people to be bold in their mission. And I, I tell you, all of us, whether we're teachers or not, whether we're just, whatever way we're connected to the community, we have the opportunity to be this blessing. Don't listen to the enemy when they keep telling us, when the enemy keeps telling us, that we can't do it. Because if you get that passion, and we get that excitement, and we see it all in perspective, we're going to be proclaiming something huge, and we're going to be inviting others to be a part of it. You know, maybe you've seen the play Les Miserables. I'm not big on musicals. I don't like musicals. I'll just be honest. I know. You know, I'm always telling y'all how much. I don't hate Steve Harvey that much. Y'all got the wrong idea with that. I'm just saying that Richard Dawson was better in my mind. But, but musicals, I, musicals don't, don't work with me because, you know, people just start singing for no reason. <laughs> what do you want for breakfast? I'll have ham and eggs. And the, you know, it just doesn't... I don't get it. But Les Miserables was not a problem for me. I was a young man and I saw the stage play. And then I get to see the movie a couple of years ago. Hugh Jackman, he's got super strength and he breaks out of prison. Well, you know, anyway, I'm re- I know. But somebody behind Les Miserables had been going to church. I'll tell you that right now because there's some religious stuff in that. And at the end, I'm not, no spoilers, no spoilers. I will tell you that people die, okay? I mean, hey, it's the French Revolution. I mean, come on. But at the end, there's this heavenly scene, and it's very heavenly. Because you've got people there, people who've died during the story, and they're all gathered together. And they're kind of in this, this mode of raising flags, and they've got this cause. But it's kind of the afterlife. And then they sing this song, this song that you've heard through the whole production and it started out as being a song about angry people who are going to fight. But then it turns into a song of hope. 
says, Do you hear the people sing, lost in the valley of the night? It is the music of a people who are climbing to the light. For the wretched of the earth, there is a flame that never dies. Even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. They will live again in freedom in the garden of the Lord. They will walk behind the plowshare. They will put away the sword. That's right out of the Bible. The chain will be broken and all men will have their reward. Will you join our crusade? Who will be strong and stand with me? Somewhere beyond the barricade is there a world you long to see. Do you hear the people sing? Say, do you hear the distant drum? It's the future that they bring when tomorrow comes. Will you join in our crusade? Who will be strong and stand with me? Somewhere beyond the barricade is there a world you long to see. Do you hear the people sing? Say, do you hear the distant drums? It's the future that they bring when tomorrow comes. Now that's jubilee. That's sharing the good news. That's calling people in. Let me ask you, do you believe in this gospel that's gathered us here today? That wasn't a rhetorical question. Do you believe in this gospel? Then tell it. If we believe it, tell it. Join the resistance. Be strong and stand with Christ. Let's stand. Let's sing this song together. And let's go tell this good news with everyone that we meet.